One of God's great gifts to this world was fresh baked bread. That's why Sharpier's Bakery delivers six days a week to your restaurant, as they've been doing for 36 years. Aaron Moso's family has been running Sharpier's Bakery, locally owned and operated right here in Nashville, Tennessee, like I said, for 36 years. Go check him out at sharpies.com. That's C-H-A-R-P-I-E-R-S.com or Sharpier's Bakery on Instagram and Facebook. Give Aaron Moso a call at 615-319-6453 to set up an appointment to talk about what fresh bread you'd like delivered to your restaurant today. What Chefs Want has been serving the Nashville restaurant community for over 15 years. During that time, they've worked tirelessly to be, well, what chefs want. Seven-day deliveries, no fuel charges, 24-7 customer care, unparalleled availability, and they'll split almost everything they sell. If you're the kind of person that wants to see what's new when it comes in stock, you should follow them on the socials at what chefs want and sign up to be a customer at whatchefswant.com. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, the tastiest hour of talk in Music City. Now here's your host, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City, and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and I will be joined with Jen Ichikawa once we start the episode. The intro today is all me. We are going to be speaking with our new friend, Charlotte Miller, who's kind of an old friend. I mean, we've been talking for what seems like years to try and get on the show to do something. We had some some big important conversations we wanted to have, and now she's hosting a symposium uh, with fellow doms for La Dame d'Escoffier. She is going to be hosting three separate symposiums, desegregating Nashville's food scene, an anti-racism brunch and dialogue series will happen on March 26th, April 23rd, and May 21st. And it, tickets are available now. They're $50 a piece. Uh, you can go to Eventbrite or you can go to the Ladam website to get them. But this conversation we had today was so fun. Um, Charlotte Miller, if you don't know who she is, is the owner CEO of Yay Yay's on Jefferson Street. She is big into brunch and she's full of energy, full of life, and full of history. Her uh, grandmother, great grandmother, grandmother, great grandmother was Yay Yay and Mama Blanche, and she just celebrates all of their history and their energy and their love of service. Uh, Jen, at the end of this episode, she goes, "You always fall in love with people in these interviews, and you fell in love. You found the person today." Uh, we just had so much fun talking to Charlotte. She's just so vibrant and and had such a great time. And it's so fun, again, being in studio talking to people. Hopefully, you can tell a difference in the quality that's happening right now. So I didn't know what to expect during this interview, but we and certainly ended up having a really, really good time. Monday, we are getting into maybe Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday. I don't know exactly which day. March 1st is the day, which is Tuesday. 
We're going to have Ben Ellsworth, and Ben is the owner, he's the founder, CEO of GigPro. GigPro is going to be a new sponsor of ours, and I cannot wait to tell you all about what GigPro has to offer and what they do, but Ben's going to be our story of recovery uh, for the month of March. So Ben is five and a half years sober, and his story is uh, interesting very, very interesting, and I'm so excited to put this out there. We recorded it last week, and it's a long interview, but we really, I think that we touch on some of the most important topics that are happening in the restaurant industry right now, so please stay tuned for that. Later in the week, next week, we are, next Friday, we are going to have um, Sheila with CORE, and Sheila is the uh, director, executive director and she is amazing, and we had such a fun conversation, and we have got five interviews next week that we're going to be doing, so stay tuned, stay tuned, and we are going to be putting them out there. I'll be posting teasers uh, on the YouTube channel as well as on our Instagram page, so follow us at Nashville underscore restaurant underscore radio. I post most of my teasers on my Brandon underscore NRR. So it's at Brandon underscore NRR for Nashville Restaurant Radio. Go follow that account. And on the stories there is where I usually post fun in-studio moments and little, hey, I put this episode out early. You should check it out. Or what you should really do is wherever you listen to your podcast, you need to like and subscribe. If you go on there and leave us a five-star review, that would mean the world. If you love the podcast, it's a little ask. Obviously, follow us on the socials to keep up with what we're doing but subscribe, hit that subscribe button because sometimes I just put out episodes randomly like yesterday with the uh, episode for the Giving Kitchen. Quick 20-minute episode, but uh, good important information in there. We are going to have Jen uh, back on the show here when she comes to town, but lots of good things happening over here. I will tell you on Tuesday all of the interviews that we're doing coming up. If you go visit NashvilleRestaurantRadio.com, I may post some teasers there too. So without further ado, let's jump in with my co-host, Jen Ichikawa, with our conversation with Charlotte Miller. (laughs) Super excited today to welcome in Charlotte Miller, and Charlotte is the CEO owner-chef at Yeye's and Mama Blanche. Mama Blanche is... It's my great-grandmother's name, too. So both my businesses are named after my great-grandmothers. That's so sweet. I love that. <laughs> On both sides. I love that. Nice. So, Yay Yay's. Yay Yay's. Tell me about it. Uh, Yay Yay's <laughs> is named after my mother's grandmother, and she was not much of a cook, but she was known for her quality level, and she was known for putting together a good time. And her nickname came from when my aunt would see her, she would say, oh, that's Miss Lady, because she was always so put together, <laughs> but she couldn't say Miss Lady. So it came out, yay, yay. Oh. <laughs> so, okay. Which is funny, because so many different cultures actually call grandmothers yay, yay, mm-hmm. including um, Swahili, uh, Greek. So when we tell people that my great-grandmother's name is yay, yay, they automatically ask me where I'm from. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, so and I'm like, Nashville. <laughs> so it's like, nothing exotic or anything, just... Yeah, yeah. Are you what they would call a unicorn? Were you born in Nashville? I was not born here. I've been here since I was three. My sister and my brothers are unicorns. 
Okay, so we had this conversation just a little while ago. Yeah. And I've lived here for 33 years. You're here now. You're so I feel like I can say that I'm from Nashville, Nashville right? Every, you are on the side that everyone else in the city is on, uh, and I just want to remind him that he's from California. So I just... <laughs> I was born in Mississippi, and I spent like a year there. I don't remember anything. Everything for me has been Nashville. Yeah, I mean, me too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. For every, all of my formative years, right. I mean, I learned how to speak in I went California, to school right around the corner from right. here. I went to school at Aiken. Did you really? Yes. Oh, wow. Ms. Claggett was my kindergarten teacher. I had birthday parties at the Dragon Park. Oh, we went to the Dragon Park like two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and we had so much fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Climbed over the... They closed exactly. it for a long time. Did they really? I have... Yeah, they closed it. They redid the whole thing. I oh, have okay. six and yeah. eight-year-old boys, so we... Did a day the other day. On a, it was kind of cold that day. We went out. We like just played. We played hide and seek on the big. The whole. Oh, we had some. I'm fun. so old. I remember when they opened it, and they had like pieces, and it come different parts, and then they had the mosaic put on it. I know the woman that did the mosaic because I I reached out to her to do the mural for Soy. Then we ended up not doing a mural, but <laughs> <laughs> not yet, at least. <laughs> Well, we're excited to have you here today, and we've been we've been like on the cusp of hooking up and doing an interview for what seems like a year and a half. Absolutely, it has to have been because I was like, "Hey, I see you," and then you see me, and then we tag back and forth, and then there's things like tornadoes and COVID mm-hmm. and things like that. Well, but you I, came at a great time because now we have the studio, whereas before this was all virtual, so it's more fun to do. I, I think so. Absolutely. So much more fun to do it yeah, live, yeah. but I. I want to go back to Yeyes for one second. We don't have to do it for too long, but I want to say what you're doing because I follow you on social media is so the descriptor of Yeyes and having fun and doing. You're like doing that, like that was the whole dream of it. So when I sat down with my partner Jason once, we were sitting on a couch. We I just cooked dinner, and we were talking about the hospitality business. We were talking about what it's like. And I go, you know what I really hate? He goes, what? I go, I hate being invited to parties, specifically parties of color. And the service is horrible. The drinks are horrible. The food is even worse. And like, there's no space that feels elegant. And anywhere close to what I was providing for other people, because I've been doing it for a long time. I've been doing it myself for 20 years and also worked at the Hermitage Hotel as the banquet chef. And so I saw that and I was like, I'm just tired of it. He goes, you want to be great to have our own place? And I go, we would be. Let's get our own place. And he goes, what? And I go, yeah, we should do that. We should definitely open up our own business. And he was telling me this story about him tending bar and how he was in the weeds. And it was such glee on his face <laughs> that I thought, oh, no one... It, no one actually enjoys being in this except for crazy people. And exactly. That's me. That's me. Exactly. I love it. I love it when we get really busy and I get out of it and you start, especially when the team is all working together mm-hmm. and you feel as if you're in the trenches with everybody. Everybody knows their place. Mm-hmm. And you come out and everybody's alive and everything is great and everybody's happy. You feel that adrenaline rush. And I saw that in him and I thought, oh, he gets it. We should go into business. So the next day, I went to the county clerk's office. The next day? The next like day. Like you say, hey, look, I'm going to throw this out that we should just do this the yeah. next day. I was like, because I've been playing around with it for a while because I'd already had Mama Blanche. And I was, and I kept having people call and ask me, where should I host a party? And I was like, why am I sending business <laughs> to someone else? This yeah. is stupid. Go find a spot and keep your business here. So when I went to go look, I went, went, got the, the, uh, the business department the next day we were at dinner and i said so here we're in business now and he goes what i go 
yeah, I told you we were, you said you wanted to do this. Well, we're going to, I'm, I'm doing it. And you don't have to do it with me, but I'm going to do but it. But you're going to do it with yeah, me yeah, also exactly. at the same time. You said you wanted to. And he goes, okay, I'm, for the, I'm, I'm down for the ride. And we had a tornado, which got rid of the first building. And <laughs> it was just like, whoa, there, here it goes. It was very Wizard of Oz. And then, <laughs> and then I kept saying, okay, we'll, we'll recoup. And then he kept telling me, you know, there's this thing called Corona. And I was like, yeah, I know about beers. And he was like, no, 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 <laughs> like, keep your eye out. And then COVID hit. And we got locked up. And that's when I was like, okay, if everybody's put on timeout, that allows us to catch up. Yeah. Because usually in the kitchen, you don't get a chance to think, strategize, or anything. And if you don't have a team, and I didn't, it was just me and him, we had the luxury to sit down and to plan. And I went into planning mode. I went through Pinterest. I looked at pages of different art. I looked at what I wanted. I thought about menus. I read books. I sat in every free virtual conference they had online. I did all the stuff on the EC, and I was just waiting. I love it. I was just waiting to find a space. And Mignon from Cupcake Collection called me, and she goes, are you still looking for a building? And I said, yes. And I'd actually met Bob Bernstein before, and he just wasn't interested. It was his building at Jefferson Street, and he had run into some issues with some culturally insensitive uh, naming of the place. And I just think, and I knew he didn't come from a place of hatred. It came from a place of what? he thought would be good and he just got bad advice and I felt bad for him. And yeah. I kept saying, you just want, you just want to get restitution or you, you want to get some kind of absolvement. Cause I think people thought the worst of him and it wasn't there. It was just, he just was literally just blindsided. And just Bob Bernstein, for those who are like, who's Bob Bernstein? Uh, He's a C he owns Bongo Java, right? right? He's mm -hmm. Bongo Java. Yeah. So, and um, we got it in a meeting together and he said, well, what I always wanted for the space, and it was pretty much the same thing I wanted. And I said, well, we don't want anything different. So let me do it. And he said, okay. Wow. He was, this, all I wanted was for the neighborhood to come back. You know, he's from Nashville, too. His kids go here. Yeah. His kids go to Hume Fog. My sister actually teaches them. <laughs> That's how much of a Nashville we are. And I said, great. So Minya said, so what are we going to do? And I said, don't worry. I had a little plan. I've been booking and writing for almost a year. <laughs> and I had stuff bought and in my garage ready to go. I had menus written, costed out. I had worked on plans. I had made contacts with people. I had already done menu testing. And in three months, we were open. Wow. <laughs> I am so in love with that story because I was, I was on here talking, kind of doing the same thing to a degree with a podcast, but I told people, I said, this is the time. This is it. Everybody who wants to go do something, they say, I don't have the time. I have this dream. Exactly. I have this passion. I don't have the time. And I went, this is the time. You have the time. And I actually You're said, at home. I do said it. Somebody, I said, we're about to see the people who are serious and the people who were using this as an excuse. A hundred percent. Because the people who are about their craft and we're serious about it. When they got put on timeout, they still figured out a way to get better at it and still do it. Well, they took it as an opportunity. Absolutely. I said, I've been saying this the whole time, that this is your opportunity for leadership. Like, no, but I said the true leaders, the true thought leaders are going to come out of this thing because there's no book. There's no book that says this is what you do in a pandemic. 
Right. There's no. There's a lot of people out there that can read a book on leadership and then go into a building and lead people, but the true leaders are the ones who said, "Okay, this is happening. This is how I'm going to pivot. This is what I'm going to do. And, and when this thing's pivot. over, we're going to go." I don't. I wish I. I had a dollar for every time I said the word pivot. How many times have I've said word pivot? <laughs> yeah. I was, or thank God I didn't drink every time we took one. <laughs> I, I quit drinking right before the whole thing started. Oh. So I was like, the, the people were so, so funny because when the insurgent thing happened, people were like, oh, there goes my dry January. I was like, I did dry 2020 yeah. <laughs> the whole year. Yeah. I, like, I started not drinking I'm before this I'm a social thing. drinker. So for me, it was fun. So I didn't want to drink anymore. I was just like, this is horrible. I can't go anywhere. I actually kept thinking, I would pay $20 for someone just to make me a drink. I would just want to watch someone make it and bring it to me. I was like, oh, it'd be so amazing. I was just waiting for when the restaurants reopened and everybody was making these at-home, like, seven-ounce pours <laughs> to go to a bar and be like, come on, man. I'm." It's funny because I did a podcast of another one. As these bartenders said the same thing. They said that when people came out of the pandemic, they're like, these drinks are horrible. They're like, no, that's the way they've always were. You've been pouring your own. Right. Yeah. And that's the problem. <laughs> You're heavy handed with that. Yeah. Uh, and that's not, I mean, if you want to do that, I'll do that. Right. You just got to say, put three times the liquor in there and I'll charge you for it. But I mean, it's not a thing. So, well, going back to um, the story of Yay Yay. So that's when I, I knew that I had lots of different pieces floating around that I needed to put all in one spot. And Yay Yay's allowed me to do that. When I left cooking, and I thought I was going to never cook again, I was the worst Cisco rep in the history of Cisco reps. I'm not kidding you. Did you work at Cisco? Oh, God. after I left everything, I thought, okay, it's time for me to grow up now, and you're supposed to go to work from 9 to 5, and I'm going to go sell food for people. When, when did you do that? Let's see here. Uh, about four years ago. Okay. It was horrible. I was the <laughs> worst. I was the person to come in and go, oh, that's the salad dressing. Let me show you how to make it. And I would tell you about the blood orange and the Dijon mustard and the champagne vinegar and olive oil, but not the great olive oil because you don't want to overpower. And my boss was like, no, 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 we want them to buy everything from us. And I go, but then all the food would taste the same. And that doesn't make sense. Why do we, why do we all want the food to taste the same? And so, and I was really bad. Like if you said, order butter, I would order you butter. You're like, no, 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 I meant margarine. I was like, that's not butter. That's not butter. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't call something that it's not. I was just, and I would do that. And cheap grease. Yeah. <laughs> or I would go into people's kitchen and they would say, I need help costing out menus. And I say, great. And I would go home and just do their entire catering menu. And I, they're like, that's not what we pay you for. They, I need the, you to come by my restaurant later on today. <laughs> <laughs> I got some stuff so, for you. And I would do that. I would come by and I was like, oh, they're like, oh, we're about to get inspected. Can you come through? And I was like, yeah, I'll come through. I'll help out. And they're like, that's not what you're supposed to do. So I knew after Cisco, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. Which is weird because I'm, I'm going to tell you, I think that's what a good rep does. I think yeah. a good rep goes in and cares about the customer cares about their business and wants to teach them how to do it the best way. So it's funny that like, that's not what you're supposed to do, but <laughs> that to me is exactly what right. I think you should be and that's doing. Like I, think too. Was like, I was like, I, if I had a rep and I did have reps, that's what I want. I would not want them to come in and just take my order. Just sell you. Oh, you want the, you know, right. whatever mm -hmm. ranch yeah, exactly. and I'll sell you this and that. I don't need that. So when I left and I was like, what do I really want to do? I had a friend who worked at the EC, and she said, I have an idea for you. She goes, 
I've seen you bounce around and stuff, and you're a great cook. And she goes, you always volunteer. What do you think about food insecurity? And I said, I don't know anything about food insecurity. So I was like, let me go learn. And I went to the food project, which some makes me very sad now because Helu uh, just passed away. I know. And what I learned from her was how to take every little piece and to watch how she patchworked that into a whole network. And then I watched how she took people or whatever they could give, whether it was 15 minutes or a whole week, she took it and took it with such joy. She took everything with her. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then I also saw how food insecurity impacted people directly and how, and how it hurt them and how it stigmatized them. So that was one thing that was in my head. And then somebody posted in the Nashville professionals group that he just wanted to teach cooking classes. And I still didn't know what I was doing yet. And I said, I'll go do that in the meantime. And it was for a, comp, uh, a group called Project Return. And Project Return is a nonprofit that helps people restore their life after they've been incarcerated. Wow. And when I walked into that space and I said, okay, what are we teaching? She goes, I don't know. You got to design it. And I go, wait, what? And she was like, yeah. And I go, great. I went and got my old culinary books from Necky, New England Culinary Institute. And I said, if I could have somebody come into my kitchen with basic knowledge, what would I want it to look like? And it was little things. Like I wanted to make sure they were serve safe. Yeah. I wanted to make sure they knew how to talk to people. I knew how, I wanted to make sure they felt confident enough in some of the lingo. So there was a lot of French terms. I also want to make sure they had basic kitchen skills. Um, and I wanted them to feel needed. And one of the things we did was we added a brunch component to the class. Oh. And every class hosts a brunch for the people in the building. And they decorate, they do the menu themed out depending on what month it is. We do basic cooking classes, all the stuff that we do in the lab builds on those building towards that brunch. And when I did that, I saw a difference in people. And I said, oh, this is, this is what cooking could do. This is what food can do. Because I also had to check my own privilege because I would say and ask people questions like, what is your food history? What do you remember your mom cooking for you? And they looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, and to hear other stories, for example, two gentlemen telling me that they used to eat cornstarch in the projects so they would stay full. So you walk around and you just eat cornstarch. And I was like, that's not real. And I was like, y'all are not full of me. And they're all, people are like, yeah, Charlotte, that's real. I was like, oh, okay. Or having somebody come off death row and trying an eggs Benedict that he cooked for his himself. And the reason why he got put on death row, again, because of racial disparities. And Mr. Connolly had been in there for almost, longer than I had been alive almost, and to watch him eat an Eggs Benedict and go, this is what freedom must taste like. This is what I missed out on, all these other little things. It hit me in a way where I realized that food was more than just nourishment. It was what I always thought it was, which was a central part of community. And that if I could figure out a way 
to bring that community back to a community, we could build a community. And that's what AAs was. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's, just, that's like the best story I've ever heard <laughs> for somebody coming up with a restaurant. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, so now my space does everything from we teach out of that kitchen because that kitchen is in the bubble. So I don't have to worry about people who've been incarcerated. So they can come right in and use a real kitchen. That space is used for political groups. It's used for campaigns. So you can come in and see your your councilman sitting down having a cup of coffee. We do meet and greets. We do um, action on Mondays. We do book clubs. We do liquor um, tastings. We do wine tastings. Uh, we do bridal showers and stuff. And we do lots of art. We have lots of art on the wall. People are all local artists. So, and that's just been in three months. <laughs> I'm, I'm blown away over here. So we just kept building, just kept building. We're not done yet. Nowhere close to it. I can tell. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I think that these in-studio interviews are so much better because I can see, like, in your eyes, you know, like when you're, when you're like, I see the passion and the empathy that you have for people just in wanting to do this. It's, it's, it's inspiring. I hope so. I, I always tell you, I'm not that good of a person. And that's what I always say. I'm not that good of a person. Um, but my father always said that a life well lived is one that's well loved. And I was well loved. And I just felt as if my community had not been. And, as of late, it has not been. I grew up in Nashville, like I said, and I never felt Nashville feel this disconjointed and this split before. Well, that's a great segue into talking about. So you you're are you you're a member of Ladom? I was actually one of the founding members of Ladom when they first started uh, years ago. I was, it was me and um, a couple of other women, and I actually got a scholarship from Ladom's when I went to culinary school, which is the reason why I was interested. Because if I had not gotten that scholarship, I wouldn't be able to go to Necky. Wow. That's incredible. So you're hosting a symposium at Ye Ye's. Mm -hmm. And it is going to be a three-part series. Correct. The first of this three-part series is going to be on March 26th. The second is going to be on April 23rd and May 21st for number three. The topic is desegregating Nashville's food scene, an anti-racism brunch and dialogue series. Of course, I had to be a brunch with me. I was going to ask. So, like, when I met you all those years ago, you talked about brunch all the time. Love brunch. You love brunch. What is the passion behind brunch? Because I, truly, I don't have to get up early to eat breakfast and I can drink. Okay. okay. <laughs> I can have a little bit of everything and no one judges me. If I want to have steak and a cheeseburger or pancakes, I can have it. So it's the options. It's exactly. limitlessness. I love the options. Gotcha. All right. That's why I liked football back in the day because it, you could drink whiskey at 9 a.m. on a Sunday and nobody would, you'd be sitting in a parking lot yeah. cooking brats and, you know, you, yeah. you're drinking out of a handle of makers and you're like, this is normal. This is tailgating. This is tailgating. Which is also my other passion. Yeah, I mean. Brunch and tailgating. Brunch and it makes sense. Yes, it does. You start the day off that way. It's the rest of the day is a, I always feel sorry time. for people. They're like, oh, I'm just going to have to go. That's a horrible breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, a mimosa or Bloody Mary? Nothing. So, yeah, so um, the symposium is supposed to be fun. It is supposed to be fun. When I came up with the idea, it was such a weird thing. It happened during 
the whole like during COVID again, this is what happens when I get put in time out. <laughs> and I saw this stuff where people talk about, you know, can't breathe, George Floyd and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I cannot hold this anymore. I have a 24 year old son and I cannot continue to feel that in my own country, my son and myself and my brothers are not valued the same way. And at that time, I just shut down. I said, I told my friends, I said, don't call me. Don't, don't ask me to absolve you of your guilt. Go get your people because my people are the ones who are getting killed. And I just can't talk about it anymore. And I didn't want to talk about it. And then I saw a bake sale. And it was for Gideon's Army, and it had all the usual suspects in it. And I called Nancy, you know, who's my mentor, really. Because sometimes, like, you need to pass somebody. You can just bounce ideas off Nancy of. Vigneau? Yeah, sorry. And, um, and I said to her, I said, am I crazy here? I go, but I'm sitting here worried about my son getting pulled over, who's an Eagle Scout, played lacrosse, college student. And the response from my community, my direct community, my fellow chefs was to bake me a cookie. Mm. And I said, does that feel the same? Does that feel like that has any gravitas as to what my real pain is right now? And she said, oh, no, I, th- I, think, you, I, think, you, I think you're right. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> but I don't want to come in and stomp on it and be a contrarian and also don't want to discourage the fact that they felt the need to reach out. Sure. And I go, but I don't know what that looks like yet. And she said, go back. Think about it, write some more. And I wrote a couple of letters. I did not mail these. (laughs) (laughs) And Nancy said, what about us having a conversation like we're having right now? And I said, that's what we need. We need a real conversation. And so she applied for a grant. And we sat down and we talked about it in pieces. And we got the grant money. And we went to our doms. And right at this time, LaDoms was starting to transition now into diversity and inclusion also. And we said, well, we've been talking about doing this. Can we do it together? And the Doms, being the great women that they are, said, absolutely, let's do this. Yeah. And everybody jumped in. And we just kept going and using contacts and getting sponsors. And I'm so excited about having people come in and having the conversations because the conversations I'm already having for people in that neighborhood, because I didn't grow up in North Nashville. I did not. And to have the older people come in and tell me their stories. And it was one of excellence and joy and not one of downtroddenness. I don't even think that's a word, um, but one of, of pain. They lived a life and lived it well. And I kept saying, like, where is this disconnect? And I kept hearing, especially during the elections, what do black people want? And I kept saying, the fact that you asked that question means you already don't see me as a person because I want what you want. I want clean water. I want great schools. I want infrastructure. I want homelessness to go away. I want people to be fed more than anything else. I just think it's ridiculous that in America... Or in this world, the way we have as many calories as we have available, we do not have a plan or a way for people to eat. And even worse, for children 
and as much as we claim we love children and the priority that we have kids who are malnourished or are in food deserts and only get real meals when they go to school. And those are the kind of things I kept saying, I want what you want. So why don't you see me the same? And then I thought of all my experiences, almost 20 years in the food industry, literally around the world and how consistent it was where I was never treated the same and never seen the same. And I said, well, let's have a conversation about that. Let's have a real conversation because we are having a conversation in bubbles. We're just not having it with each other. No, I, I, so I'm hoping that the alcohol and the brunch will help soften the blow (laughs) (laughs) for these conversations. Let's get stuffed and, 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 yeah. Talk about difficult things to talk about. Right. But they're not that That's difficult. how my family does it. <laughs> We're a good Catholic family, a good Southern Catholic family. You eat a lot, you drink a lot, then you have the discussions. <laughs> See, that's one thing I've had to learn how to do is to have those discussions without drinking. It was, it's so yeah. funny because I almost feel like during my drinking years, I could drink and not have to have those discussions. And when I stopped drinking, I became present. Mm-hmm. And that fog lifted and you start seeing things and you go, Oh, I can't escape. You know, the George Floyd that whole time, like yeah. I can't, go. I can't <laughs> escape that. I can't go drink and just forget about it. Like I, I had to we lean in going through that during COVID. We were all locked up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were literally just, you know, put in time out. Mother nature put us in time out and there was no place for us to go. So there was so many other ills that came to that. We got, we couldn't, like I said, couldn't put away, couldn't hide from. And this was the one that they hit home for me. And I said, I'm not doing anything. Well, let's do this. Hey, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. So after having Cam and Nicole in studio from the Red Perch, they gave quite the ringing endorsement from my good friend, Jason Ellis over at Supersource. He's one of those guys that every single person I talk to that works with Jason Ellis is like, man, I love the guy that sells my dishes and chemicals. Jason Ellis is amazing. And I didn't even know that like that existed for most of my career, that there was a guy that did the chemicals and dish machines until I came across Jason Ellis because he brings service. He also doesn't bring a contract. He doesn't make you sign up for five years. He earns your business every single week. I thought Cam said it best in the interview and he said, Jason's like a member of our team. He comes in, he stocks the shelves, asks what else we need. Like he's there, like he's a member of our team. Is your dish guy like that at all? I didn't think so. You need to give Jason Ellis a call. His number is 770-337-1143 and he is the real deal. He's with Supersource, and he will come to you and, and set you up the dish machine, set you up with all of your chemicals. He is the man. Jason Ellis, 770-337-1143. Call him today. Seeing as though Gig Pro is starting next week, I'm going to go ahead and set you up to let you know about our next episode with Ben Ellsworth and what they're doing over at Gig Pro. After years of spending too much time and money on useless staffing software, Chef Ben Ellsworth knew something had to change. Of necessity, GigPro was born. GigPro was the on-demand marketplace for hospitality staffing. We're changing the way people work and hire. Download the GigPro app today to get help you need. 
GigPro has an exclusive pro- promo code for Nashville Restaurant Radio listeners to sign up. Here's what you do. You go to go.gigpro.com forward slash N-R-R-B-I-Z. You're going to get your first gig on them. That's up to a $200 value. So go to go.gigpro.com forward slash N-R-R-B-I-Z and get your first gig up to $200 on them. So you've got three separate brunches, right? So people can sign up for this. If you go to Eventbrite, mm-hmm. it's on there. Uh, but at Les Dom Nashville, yes. can you get tickets at yes. L-E-S-D-A-M-E-S And the first Nashville. one it will be the history of African-Americans and food in Nashville. This is Nashville's food history, right. how race played and continues to play a role. And Alice Randall will be the one who will be speaking toward to that, which we are very lucky to have. Um, she's just amazing wealth of knowledge. And that was another thing I, I had to realize too. I was like, I can't have this conversation in front of people because I get too emotional and I don't have the skill set. I was like, I don't know how to unpack this. I don't know how to figure out things. Like when I found out, like I said, I felt that Nashville had changed different, become different, but I didn't have any data or anything. It was Nancy who found out that Nashville has become the most, the sixth most segregated city in America. I didn't know that when I when I started this. You know, I, 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 didn't I didn't know, know that until you. I, I was this day years old yeah, yeah, when exactly. I found that when out. When Nancy told me that, I go, "Wait, what?" And I was like, "Because everything for me had been anecdotal, mm-hmm. and nothing had been substantial with data." And so when we started going through the data, I said, "Hold on a second, this is real now." Like it, it became. And I was like, "I don't, I don't know how to fix this. I need a professional." So that's when we started reaching out to people, like Dr. Gerald from um, Everybody Versus Racism. Um, talking with Equity Alliance, Gideon's Army, as well as professors, and then also asking people their own experiences and walking into spaces. And that was another thing, too. I got called out for that because I had always worked at the top of the game, and I actually was asked, how many people have you worked with like you? And I've never worked with another black woman except for Miss Brenda, but she was like, I've never worked with another black woman in, ever in 20 years. As, as a chef ever, even when I traveled. And I thought about that, and I was like, why are we not? And then I thought about when I go out to eat, when I was asking my friends, let's go to this place, go to this place, and they would say things like, that place isn't for us. They don't want us there. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, they want me there. They go, <laughs> and I spend lots of money. <laughs> and then... Um, they're like, oh, they want you there because you're one of them, but they do not want us there. And I had to unpack that and all the different things. And then when I would hear stories like what happened recently and Midtown and then hearing other bouncers and bartenders, they're different happened? stories. I don't know what happened what in happened Midtown. What happened in Midtown? Oh, so there was a DJ who was playing hip-hop music. Oh, I did hear yeah. about this. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, 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 with the manager. Yeah. yeah. He came out and said, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'm not surprised. That's something, that's something I think that really, I should be surprised at this point. Mm-hmm. But I'm not. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. And I go, why Why do I allow that to happen? Why do I say, yeah, that sounds about right? Why do we Why do we just scoot that underneath the rug? And the DJ, whoever it was, I forgot his name, bravo to him, like walking out on mm-hmm. it. Because I don't know, I would have. I mean, I'm going to be honest, there were many a times in my career when I could have walked out and called people racist and did not want to rock the boat 
because well, I wanted to move further along in the system. Right. That's and that's not good. Yeah. But that's kind of what, you know, in the book How to Be an Anti Racist, he says there's no such thing as I'm not racist. That's not a that's not a phrase that means mm. anything. You're either racist or you're anti racist. Mm. There's no I'm not racist, because if you're not racist and you're not gonna say anything about it, you're allowing it to happen right. henceforth. You're not anti racist. You're just allowing these things. And I think everybody in me, I don't for for sure myself in the past have been guilty of that of not saying something when I've mm-hmm. oh, I'll just turn my head. That's not something that's me versus stopping somebody in their tracks and saying that's not okay. Like and getting, even asking the question, which is the next part. I said looking in the space and asking who's not in the room. Yeah, and why are they not in the room? Mm-hmm. And that was that was the next step for me. And my business partner, Jason, like I said, we were talking about doing yay-yays. He was the reason why I started asking that question. Because he was like, you don't ever go to the side of town anyway. So ask yourself why we're not in your, you know, why they're not over there and and why we're not. And I said, oh, okay. All right. And I, and I it was definitely one of those, oh, okay. Yeah, like there's definitely spaces. And... The way it was described to me pretty well by a woman recently, and she said, it's taxing because we have to put on a front as black people because we know more about white people than they know about us. Mm-hmm. So we have to always adjust to them, mm-hmm. and it's exhausting. So when I finally want to go out, I don't want to have to continue playing that game. Sure. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I guess you, it, it is exhausting. She's like, yeah, all day long I go through microaggressions. I don't want to run the risk. I'm doing it one more time. And I was like, hmm. and then I thought to myself, we have an incredible, intelligent, great population. I mean, forty percent of Nashville is minority. Mm-hmm. I was like, why are our restaurants not looking like that? That was one of the things we were talking about my my social media. One of the things I'm most proud of is that in both spaces I've created, and by accident. I've created spaces where I'll walk in and you can't tell a demographic. And I love it. I mean, I'll have an old person, young person, a hipster, or you know, they call them that anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, a skateboarder. And then, I mean, like even our space, we had a skateboard posse on Saturday. And then I had Uncle Nearest and Jack Daniels yesterday. And then I'll have a book opening, a book signing with um, somebody from CNN. And then turn around and we'll have um, a church group come in with their book club. And I'm like, I love that our space feels comfortable enough for everybody to come in and feel welcome. And I love that. And I don't know how to market that, teach that, or make other people find it as important as I do. I think it's important that... Each individual person looks in the mirror and makes their own decisions as to what they need to do. And I'll, I'll explain that. We can all be advocates to tell other people what we need to do. But until people start looking in the mirror, and, and I'm a big fan of a guy named John Miller. And he wrote a book called QBQ. And I reference it all the time. He's been on the show twice. But his whole thing is not, it's not asking the they questions. It's asking the putting yourself in the questions. Oh, so said that. What's that? Leroy Tolstoy said that because it's easier to change to change the world than it is to change yourself. Mm-hmm. So why would say, what can we do to get those people to stop being racist? And you got to go, well, if those people looked in a mirror every day, if every single person said, 
what can I do today to be an anti-racist? You started your death. You started thinking that. If you just changed yourself and you led by example, I think the world would be a lot better place. So that was exactly one of the things we were putting inside the workbook. So we're hoping that when people come to the symposium from different groups, because everybody, I should say everybody, quite a few groups have lineups. Take it back to your lineup. Take it back and say, okay, let's ask yourself this question. You know, pose this to you. How do you treat blah, blah, blah. You don't have to answer, but just take it back to your to your staff members. And we're hoping that that will sort of pollinate mm-hmm. and get spread that way. And people start asking themselves a the question. You don't say, you know, we're not putting you on trial. We're just hoping that somebody else will come back and ask you the question. Doing that self, like I said, doing the self-work and seeing what it looks like in your property. Um, I think about Terrell from who owns Butcher Town Hall at Liberty Common. And I remember him telling me, he goes, I had to get rid of, he goes, I had to tell my salespeople that I wanted some, some different looking people in all the pictures because everybody looked the same. He goes, and I was tired of the same people in all of my pictures. And I wanted to kiss him when he said that. I was like, thank you. We're all not size two in blonde hair. Mm-hmm. I could, like, there's a group of us come to your restaurant all the time. We love it. And thank you for acknowledging us and seeing us. Yeah. That's why I love um, the word namaste. I see you. I see the God in you. I see that special part of you. And that's what I want other people to feel when it comes to my spaces. But I also want to feel that myself when I come into your space, mm-hmm. that you see me. And I have to give him credit for that because I was like, that was totally, I was just like, oh, you get it. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. So, so back to the symposium a little bit, because I want to talk about all three of them, mm-hmm. right? So the first one is going to be Saturday, March 26th. It's from noon to two. And if I want to go to that, how much does it, is it, it says $50 to 150 Is it $50 per session? Yes, it's $50 per session. Okay. So you can pick which one you want to go to or go to all three. I would recommend all three, right? Because they're going to lead three. into right. each next so one, the, right? The second one is going to be specifically like why we aren't in those spaces, why we're talking about, you know, the, the actual anti-racism. And then the third one is a call to action. Um, we're hoping to get uh, somebody from Uncle Nearest to come and talk about their initiative, as well as Jack Daniels, who uh, we just had the Byron talk about it yesterday, their new initiative on specifically how to get people of color into the food and beverage industry. And LaDobbs has been similar with that mission with women because, for the most part, we're not in there. And it is cost prohibitive a lot of times for culinary school and things like that so that's what these symposiums are it's like okay first of all here's a history we're recognizing a problem in number two we're going to talk about that go ahead number two is saturday april 23rd Mm -hmm. from noon to two brunch time uh, integrating your business bringing inclusion to the front and the back of the house that's the official title of date number two date number three is going to be saturday may 21st from noon to two, practice radical hospitality, welcoming black and brown people into white businesses and white people into black and brown businesses. Yeah, this also goes the other way. Integrating, yeah. <laughs> because I've been in places too where people are like, I don't want them in here. Like, whoa. If it was the other way around, we would feel that way. <laughs> so, <laughs> why, especially now that I, like I said, I'm on Jefferson Street, people are like, you see somebody with a, with a baby stroller walking their dog on Jefferson Street. I go, oh, it's coming. You better get ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> it is coming. Now, you can be with it or against it, but one way or the other. 
Ask East Nashville. Ask 12 South. It's coming. Oh, it's yeah. progress. It's going to happen. You're going to be with it or you can't. So I highly recommend getting on the forefront. That's it. You have, you have such good vision. I mean, like with, with yayas and everything you're doing, I love I love your that you just take action. Sometimes you don't wait around for somebody else to do it. It's, it's that what can I do mentally? What can I do to create this? I'm going to go tomorrow and do this. What can I do to bring this about? What can I do to create this That's environment? Strictly my mother. My mother cannot sit still for anything. She has always been that action. Uh, be about it. Don't don't talk about it. She's like everybody can talk. Let's see what you got. And so for me, it's the same thing with me. I'm like, okay, as much as I talk, I I work just as much. So. Yeah, you've always you've always worked. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the only time I was like, I, my mother, like I say, I I do love what I do though, and I'm very blessed that my skill has allowed me to give back in a way that feels bigger than just cooking. Because I thought I was going to be a lawyer, and then I was like, oh god, I I would cry all the time <laughs> and I was like I just couldn't and the kitchen oh I was I was such a big baby oh god biggest heart ever I would be thinking like I kept thinking about it. if I messed up a case or something and they had to go to jail for forever because of me I would never be able to live that okay. oh god horrible. It's horrible high stakes okay. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's high stakes yeah. um, you can serve somebody a bad meal and I'll invite you back another thing time thing is like yes yeah, sometimes and then I got into the catering part and then that became high stakes too because mm -hmm. people will get married once. Yeah, was, they're <laughs> celebrating life. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. So that became part of it too. But to be able to be a part of people's joyous times mm -hmm. is probably the best thing ever for the most part. Because when people usually go out, they usually go out to celebrate. They're not looking to go out to have a crappy time. Well, I think that people go out for numerous reasons. And the thing that we do in the hospitality industry is I have – no clue why you're coming in the door. So when you, when somebody walks in a door, and I'll tell you an example. The other day I was at the Green Hills Grill and I had a party of five women come in on a Friday night and they all walked in at the same time and they said, good evening, how are we doing? And they said, we're doing great. And I go, there's five of you and you're all here at the same time. Like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> and I go, you're going to be too loud tonight. We're going to have fun. And they wait. So we, I took them back to the table and I came back and checked on them midway through their meal. And they all had these martinis and they were laughing. And I got one of them another glass of wine. And I just, just said, thank you guys for being here. This was so much fun having you because I just genuinely am excited that they're here to do that. And on the way out, the woman stopped and she said, uh, thank you. We had so much fun. Um, I said, great. So I'll see you tomorrow. And she goes, no, tomorrow we're burying my husband. And we just needed, this was, okay. his, this was his favorite restaurant. We just needed a moment. And it's like, even in that moment, us in the servant, we have such an amazing, uh, like, that's what we, we do. We have power. Our power to turn somebody's day around. And the second you walk up with some sort of a prejudice or, oh, this table, like, no, no, no. You have no idea. Our a heart of a servant is somebody that wants to, when you walk in this door, when you leave here, you're going to be in better spirits. You're going to be happy. And I love the word nourish. That's because actually one of our um, words for yay yay. So the three words we picked was gather, nourish, and indulge. And mm -hmm. the reason why I picked nourish is because it meant more than just feeding you. It meant like sustaining Your soul. you. Yeah, like it's, it's it meant like I, I hit in the spots and places that felt empty that I, I could fill in. Yeah, I could fill in the little crevices. And I love I, that. And that's what I wanted. And the other, like I said, indulge was the other one because it felt radical. 
as black people to say, I'm not going to sit around here and be like, oh, woe is me. I'm going to tell you I'm going to have a damn good time, and you're going to watch me do it, mm-hmm. despite everything else that's going on. <laughs> no, I love that. Yeah, I, I can't remember where I read it. I feel like I read it in Glennon and Doyle, but she said there is something, or Glennon Doyle, there was no such thing as other people's children. And it seems like that's kind of what you embody in the community. Like, there's no such thing as anybody else. We're all, we all want the same. We all well, that's what radical, be together. Well, that's what radical hospitality is. Yeah. So when we were talking about that, um, I said I wanted that third symposium is about radical hospitality. Mm-hmm. And again, going back to something my father taught me, Catholic, I'm a recovering Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things they said is we have a vocation and you give of yourself. And I kept thinking about the word generosity. And the first part of generosity, selling like jeans, giving yourself. And my dad would say, it doesn't count if it doesn't hurt. Because then you didn't give anything. Mm. You have to sacrifice something for love. All the time. It has to hurt a little bit. You have to give up something to show that sacrifice. And that was what Jesus did for us. Mm -hmm. And that is what you have to do for whoever it is you love. At some point, you have to give something. And I thought about all the sacrifices my mom made. All the sacrifices my parents made. Sacrifices that um, the people before us came. Specifically like civil rights and all those other things. And the women. And And I was like, they sacrificed something for the love of someone else they didn't even know. That's radical hospitality. I, I'm I love that. I'm sitting here taking that in because it's so true. Like it's so true. If it doesn't hurt, like you've got to. There's a sacrifice. It's not just oh, I've got a million dollars. Here's a quarter. Oh, I get, I did something for you. It's like it's yeah. got to. Well, there's that Bible story too about the woman that gave all of her pences, and she was higher in the kingdom than right, right, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I've story. made like a bunch of Bible references yeah. today, oddly. Um, <laughs> it's a Catholic girl in me coming out. Sorry. I'm Jewish. <laughs> I- <laughs> I'm getting everybody out. <laughs> I, I read Proverbs on a regular basis. <laughs> I am I not love religious the wisdom. At all. I just yeah, went to Catholic I- school my entire life, so the indoctrination mm-hmm. is real. The guilt is in Jewish I, oh, and Catholicism oh. is real too. Yeah, like it's so funny because you said that because Jason, uh, my business partner, is Jewish. Yeah, and he said, "Oh, the guilt's on you." The guilt is. He I goes, "Oh, he goes, whew." He goes, mm-hmm. "Jewish and Catholic boy." Is that's the same. where that's our meeting ground. <laughs> exactly. Is just the guilt. I have to like I I verbalize it constantly, and I'm like, I'm not going to wear that. I'm yeah. not going to wear it, but I have to say it out loud if I feel guilty about something I shouldn't. Like, it's very hard for me. <laughs> oh, my mother's great at it. Like, just, oh, like, just they all things. are. Oh, oh my God. They all are so I'm attempting to not be that way to my kids. Oh, I'm doing it. I, I tried not to do it for my son. I yeah. do stuff like, call your mother. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> my son just went to New York. I was like, oh, you love New York? That's great. You should call me sometimes. Let me know you're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter, they're 14 months, my twins, right? And my daughter just recently started saying, yeah. And she goes, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, you can't already sound like a Jewish New Yorker, though. Like, you're too young to already be like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're good. I'm like, baby. <laughs> Give it a few years, honey. But I know she's getting it from me and my mom, so I'm sure. <laughs> they do mimic everything. Yeah, I know. They they watch. That's another thing too. Like I watch like what's of my own son growing up now, and I, I those books that he bought me for Mother's Day and yay yays, mm-hmm. and one of them is a woman has better sex underneath socialism. And I was like, I was like that was a Mother's Day gift. And then I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like, no wonder I have the spot now. Like that's the kind of mom I was. <laughs> 
<laughs> he was like, he felt completely comfortable. And the other gift he gave me was a Jack Daniels belt buckle. There so you go. <laughs> like, there you go. Jack was always my drink, by the way. I, I was a big Jack guy. I love Jack. It, I love what they've done. They've, um, with the, like I said, with Uncle Nearest helping them, and then as well as giving money to help them bring more people in. I also love how inclusive they've been. A lot of companies and stuff did not embrace LBGQ yeah. right away, and they did. Mm-hmm. And they marketed to them directly, and they were not afraid of it. They put rainbows. They put Jack Daniels in rainbows. Mm-hmm. And I was like, way to go. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody should enjoy it. Like I said, radical hospitality. <laughs> so one wow. of the ways I want people, specifically in our industry, to kind of break those barriers is I feel like we hear the same names of restaurants all the time because they have a lot of staying power Mm -hmm. and because they're great. There's nothing wrong with those. But that being said, like, I feel like I bring up, I attempt to bring up all of our, my husband is Japanese and I'm always bringing up our favorite tiny Asian spots that nobody has ever heard of or they've heard of, but they're really tiny hole in the walls. So I would love for you to share some of your hole in the wall restaurants that isn't in the main conversation, but that people should go to. I can see. Um, well, I will, I love Dolansville Road. Let me just say that. First yes. And foremost. <laughs> if yes. you are not eating and shopping on Dolansville Road, mm-hmm. you're not a foodie because there is so much great stuff going on. There's a place called Korea House that I was like one of my proudest moment. They had the little barbecue yeah. on the table, and she comes up to me and she's like, "Oh, that's cooked really well." And I was like, "Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Was it good? Good? Like, like, did I do this right?" And mm-hmm. she's like, "Yeah." So that's one of my places. Um, what else do I like? I love Bok Box. Bok Box is really good. Oh, I love Bok Box. It's really good. I like the kale salad. I like all the little things to go mm-hmm. with it. Um, I have not been. You haven't? It's no. only lunch. Yeah. 11 to 3. It's, Isn't it's, their sandwich like the thing, right? Well, chicken. I love. I actually love the roasted chicken mm-hmm. and the kale salad. Like, I bring people in. It's like this green chimichurri situation mm-hmm. with like a miso. Oh, Ooh, so good. Okay. It is really good. So is Korea House. We've yeah, been there a bunch the of Korea times. House. Yeah. It's great. I like tacos y mariscos. Lopez. Oh yeah, um, yeah. That's I always know them by the colors of the building. Like I like the yellow yeah. gas station when you come down underneath the hill by uh, uh, by the by the zoo on the right hand side, mm-hmm. and they have a peanut sauce that I didn't even know was peanuts when I had it with with, uh, with cilantro and stuff, and it was amazing. Um, there's a Kurdish place over there uh, that's fantastic. What else do I love? Uh, I used to, well, I haven't been in the new international market, but when they closed down for a while, I went and bought a t-shirt because yeah. that was my introduction to food as a kid. My parents went to Vanderbilt and my mother did. My dad was already back, uh, was working at the time, but uh, we didn't have, we didn't go to get Happy Meals. Mm-hmm. We would go to international market because you could get a chicken on a stick, fried rice and an egg roll mm-hmm. for like little kids for like a dollar. <laughs> so that was our happy meal as kids. So when we were good, oh, that's awesome. We would go to the <laughs> international market, and I loved it. And it was like one of those things that opened us up. And because we lived in Vanderbilt, I got exposed to all these different cultures. Because mm-hmm. my mother would say stuff like, "You be quiet. And you eat what they eat." You know, the end of it. So I was eating fufu from Bemuna from Nigeria. I was eating, you know, curries and stuff from Malaysia because that's what. The, Kids in my class who Aiken, yeah. they were all international too. That's what they're eating. So right. if you go to their house, you eat what they eat, and you better not be rude about it. And that just exploded my palate. Which is another thing that I do is I do 
lunches for King's Academy. It was another one of those things. I got stuck in COVID, and I was like, I do not understand why kids do not have better meals and lunch mm-hmm. in schools. And I go, I bet you I can figure out a way to do it. So I go, let me test it. And so now I'm testing it. And let me just tell you, those kids are eating shepherd's pie. They're eating soba noodles, mushrooms. They're eating um, kale salads. They're eating, uh, today they had uh, pad thai and with baby bok choy. Nice. Yeah. I'm getting hungry. (laughs) And I loved it because I keep telling people that stop, for everybody, stop thinking you know who they are. Let them prove it to you first. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me a kid doesn't eat vegetables. Let him prove it to me first. Sure. And it doesn't just because he doesn't eat one vegetable doesn't mean he doesn't eat another. Yep. And more than likely, if your kids don't eat vegetables, it's because you don't. I feel the same way. Or, or we yeah. allow them to. Right. Or yeah. you, you know, we, we eat vegetables. Or not. Kids like, I don't like this. I'm like, you're not getting up. You're not getting on your game until you eat it and at least appreciate it, right? I need you to eat that and understand yeah. it. And then most of the time, like, oh, it's actually pretty good. Yeah. I just think kids react yeah. to how we react. So, right. like, my kids are young, no question. But, like, we, my husband, we eat tofu a lot. Mm. We, you know, we, we eat curry a lot. And so I give it to the kids. And my mom's always like, they're not going to eat that. I'm like... They don't know that it's not dino nuggets. They right. don't know that it's not <laughs> scrambled eggs. They just know that mommy and daddy are giving it to them and mommy and daddy are eating it. Right. And so they're going to eat it. So, yeah, I think if you just. And if you explore the palate, because yeah. a kid is also scientifically speaking, mm-hmm. a kid's going to want everything sweet anyway yeah. and fatty. Mm-hmm. If you do not explore a palate with a child mm-hmm. and let them try different things and different textures. Yep. There's another thing too, like all oh, the kids are like, because you put everything out of a can. Yeah. Give them some fresh vegetables. Yeah. Well, we did baby led weaning, which is like, <sighs> it's so scary. I'll be honest. Like, I think it's so scary because you're giving this like six month old something he could choke on. Like it my, is so scary. My but. sister had a baby, um, Jeb, and he's four now. We had him mm-hmm. all during COVID. Jeb is allergic to all nuts. Dairy and eggs. Oh. <laughs> oh. I've got but, the nuts. But, <laughs> but it was funny because I was like, okay. And I was going, I was like, I'm a chef. It's fine. Dairy, mm-hmm. eggs, and nuts. You're like, ah, here's a piece <laughs> of romaine lettuce. <laughs> but it's funny because when, I, when we figured that out, then I was like, he had to eat vegetables. Yeah, he had to. Vegetables, yeah. fruit, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so he didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because once he stayed with us for COVID, he learned about snacking from my sister. But yep. we were like, you ruined him. <laughs> we had him eating well and yeah. stuff. But, um, yeah, like I was saying, when you start a kid that way, mm-hmm. my kid has always been a foodie. Imagine that. But um, <laughs> Well, he didn't have a choice. Yeah, he, he was really born did. into yeah, it. It really yeah. was. But the thing is, like, he's super thin, and he's, like, very particular about, like, that's enough. Mm-hmm. But he will taste stuff, and he's always been open to trying new things. And I think that's also one of the things we teach a kid when you take him to have tofu, curry, and all those other things, you're opening him up to different cultures, mm-hmm. and you're opening him up to different flavors, and you're teaching him it's okay to try something different. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why I wanted their meals at King's Academy to reflect that also. So they're eating things like tandoori, and they're eating stuff like couscous and naan. And they're like, these kids, are like, I want them to, ex- to think about where does this come from? Mm-hmm. Where does this mole come from? Why? What's in this? And ask those questions. Food, I think, too, is like, I think it's the easiest way to get to know somebody. It's the last thing you leave. It's yeah. the last thing you, I mean, think about it. Almost 
there is not a single culture, no matter where you come from, you don't give up your food. Mm -hmm. You figure out a way to infuse it or to keep a part of it. But culturally speaking, some part of the ways is food. And it's usually kept by the women. Yes. The women's are usually the four are usually the keepers of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm really worried specifically for my, my food culture because we don't cook anymore. And that's both men and women. Mm -hmm. We just don't cook anymore. So I am terrified to think about all those great little things that my grandmother, that mama Blanche did Mm -hmm. those pickles, those little things that are gone. Like there's some things I don't know how to do. Like I said, I'm going to spend a whole summer trying to figure out how to make her plum jelly, my grandmother's plum jelly. But those are all food culture things that make up who we are. And what more things, like you said, your family is part eight Japanese and you want your kids to know that Mm -hmm. and taste that and be a part of that, which is also goes back to like that whole thing too, about being seen. Mm -hmm. Like when people say, Oh, I don't see color. I go, that's not a compliment. Mm -hmm. No. What you're saying is you don't see me. Right. Yeah. I I don't count until I look like you. And you know, I am a white woman and I'm, I have tried really hard to become anti-racist and it's there are moments where that has been uncomfortable and I have lost friends and that is okay but I'd be, I've been a part of one of those moments yeah I'm so proud was, of you it was, it was very amazing uncom- it was during a meeting it was very uncomfortable um but, but it needed to be said and anyway so now having biracial children who at this point we don't know if they're going to be white passing or not they certainly have Asian features they certainly have some of my features either way I they have four names like both of the twins have four <laughs> names and we did that because I am Jewish and I wanted them to have a Hebrew name and I wanted them to have a Japanese name. So they, they have the kind of like Americanized name that my husband and I picked, which, <laughs> um, which is Noel, right? We just, I love Christmas. Um, so we named her Noel. <laughs> the Jew loves Christmas. I, <laughs> I also go to church. I'm a mix of a lot of things, but anyway, we did that intentionally so that no matter what they decided to be as they grow up, they have the identity of both cultures behind them and that they know that both of those cultures are represented in them, in us. We want them to. And that is so lucky and such a privilege. It is. It, it absolutely really is. Because is. I think about my grandmother, Ye Ye, mm-hmm. and my great grandmother, Ye Ye, where that wasn't a, a thing. Mm-hmm. And her daughter was born with blonde hair and blue eyes. Well, not blue eyes, but blonde hair. Sure. And married a black man and had my mother who had blonde hair, blonde curly hair, mm-hmm. but it was a black woman in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And I cannot every day imagine what kind of holy hell that must have been in the 60s mm-hmm. to have an entire family that looked like that and constantly getting barraged on both sides and not only getting that hit, but being able to embrace it, grow from it, and excel. And so, yeah, it's, and you talk about, you know, facing, mm-hmm. you know, fate, whatever. It was never an option for her. Right. Because right. she was like, first of all, on your driver's license in Mississippi, a little dab will do you. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you look like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little dab will do you. But also, why would I want to take that part of away from right. me? And that's another thing, too. So Caroline, actually, is the other speaker on our first um, symposium. And she wrote... Uh, during the George Floyd thing, she was about how the color of her skin is the color of rape. Mm -hmm. And she'll be one of the people talking about that history Mm -hmm. and on that first symposium and stuff and how that impacts us. Wow. 
So like I say, it's not gonna. I can say it's gonna be. It's gonna be good, thoughtful conversations. And I, like I'm gonna I say, try and be there for all three. Yeah. I'm gonna try and go to all three. I think I'm it's gonna try to go for all three. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> you're gonna be there all three. Well, one of them is on my son's birthday, and it's a Saturday, and I don't know if that's birthday party day. And gotcha. as much as I, I want to go, I'm, I think we're going. Or we're trying. We're thinking about actually live streaming them. Oh, that's oh. incredible! Because somebody else has said they're like, "This is too important not to." And I didn't, I didn't think about that at all when I was doing it. Right. Well, so if you record them, I work, you know, with Ladam um, when Dee Patel was the president. I mean, we did the Table Talk series mm-hmm. over the last year. And so they've just sent them to me, and I've broadcast them on our network because I want to support everything that Ladam is doing. If they record them and it's something I can do, all right, I'll I'd be happy to release them as a podcast that kind of let people know. I think we'll it's an important it. conversation you should yeah, be having. I also, like I said, I... I'm hoping that it's not the end of the conversation, it's the beginning of a conversation. Yeah, yeah. 100%. That's what I'm hoping for. Well, I'd like us to get off the top six list. That would yeah, be, that'd be great. Yeah, that would be fantastic. <laughs> At least out of the top 10. Let's get out of the out top, of the top 50. I was so shocked because Nashville is like so, Nashville was the second friendliest town in America. Right. And I, and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. we're friendly. friendly. We love everybody. Yeah. And then I saw that, and then I, when that hit me, I kept walking into places and I do the I do the count and I go oh, yep it's just me here. <laughs> okay, this is what they're talking about. All right, this yep. is exactly what they're talking about. So. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I have had so much fun having you here in studio, and we'll have to have you back after the symposium is over. I think we have some of these conversations. I would love to have you back and let's talk about let's continue the conversation. Yeah, I would say. Um, I don't know if I'm the best person for the conversation all the time, but I definitely know there's some people out there. Well, we can bring some more people yeah, exactly. in. Yeah. <laughs> we got again extra microphone believe, over there. I cannot believe I'm actually admitting that I don't know everything, and you have it on. <laughs> I tell you, you have I, it recorded. <laughs> there's going to be a couple of people going to play this back to me over and over again. <laughs> Should we make a little clip of it a reel? <laughs> you can sell it. <laughs> like, see, I don't know everything. See, but my I, wife says when she's like, when my wife says to me, like, okay, I'm wrong i'm like oh, oh wait what'd you just say God, my husband does that to me <laughs> come too. back, come oh, yeah. back. Yeah. my partner jason does that to me oh, that's why i have two husbands my husband husband and then him as my work husband <laughs> because i'm never wrong with him it's like it's so rarely am i wrong with him with my, the husband i live with that i see all of the time i'm a little more wrong oh yeah my boyfriend all wrong all the time yeah yeah but yeah business partner jason's usually if he says something and i admit i'm wrong it's it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it does. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a list. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. So I know Brandon pretty well, and he does love to like fall in love with something every day. And I watched him fall in love with you. Like I was <laughs> watching <laughs> this story. I could see it, his body, all of it. I'm like, oh, he found it today. It is Charlotte today. <laughs> I, oh, I'm so happy that he found it. <laughs> you have I have to say I'm very excited to be the person who's bringing it to people. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited that my belief in humanity and belief in the people around me was true, that they would accept it yeah. and that they would do so lovingly coming from me and other people and that they would do the work. And I, for the most part, I haven't had anybody go, why would you want to do that? That sounds crazy. Blah, blah, blah. No one has said that. They're like, oh, that's a great idea. How can I help? Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of people that want that. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people that want that. And it is a tough conversation to start. And I'm glad that you're doing it and we're here for it. Mm-hmm. Great. I don't know how, how we can help. We want to we want to do it. If we can air it, if we can have more conversations, like said, get, we love it. Get on Eventbrite, get tickets, people, and bring, this is what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for servers. And if you have a restaurant and you're not going to go pay for the tickets for a supervisor, yeah. The person who takes the res- takes the the host pay for three or four people in your business to go, and they get the swag bag. They'll just see other people, and it is not a conversation on stage with just the people there. It is an open conversation. I want to hear from the top to the bottom. More importantly, the bottom, what they're experiencing, what their what their experiences have been, and talk about it. And I want them to know that. So I'm hoping that. Businesses who say, how can we support? That's a great way to support. Mm-hmm. Buy tickets for the people who do the daily work. The people who are in it every day. I think I was just sitting there thinking, I was like, ooh, I've got two, I've got some people I want to send. Not for any, but just because we can do that. I think it's such a great conversation to start. And I would like some of my leaders to be a part of that. Charlotte, one of the things that we do on this show is that at the end of every show, and you kind of just did it. I hate it when the end of people feel there, and people <laughs> feel the end of the show, and I was like, damn, she's killing it. We like to let our guests take us out. So whatever we, at the end of the show, whatever you want to say, as long as you want to say it, whatever it is, kind of Jerry's final thought style, we like to turn uh, the mic over to you to take us out of this interview. Whatever you want to say, hospitality, in Nashville's listening, go. For all the people who are doing hospitality in Nashville, first of all, thank you. No one else says it to you. I know it's a thankless business. And I know that you give of yourself over and over and over again. And you don't feel as if anyone gives back. So I'm saying thank you for all the ones who don't. And what I'm also asking you is to give just a little bit more and open up a little bit more on how you can truly be inclusive by looking at yourself and every day think about what's the one thing I could do to make another person happy. How can I anticipate one person's needs? Really be empathetic about that. And if we all do that, if we all anticipate each other's needs, what would our world look like? I love it. I think that's a a beautiful way to end a a fantastic conversation. Charlotte Miller, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Big, big thank you to Charlotte Miller for coming on the show, telling her story and talking about her upcoming symposium with La Dame d'Escoffier. Thank you again, Charlotte, bottom of our heart. We really enjoyed that and are looking forward to doing it again. I got so much more we can talk about. I look forward to joining you at the symposium as well as talking about it after the fact. Big, important conversations that need to be had, especially in our city and our industry. So thanks again for coming on and bringing some of that stuff uh, up. It's sometimes difficult to talk about, but I think it's very important that we do. All right, well, we hope that you guys are being safe out there and uh, love you guys.